Connor, you're British, and I guess that means that you drink your tea with jam and bread, as the song goes. Isn't that right? I do. I drink tea with jam and bread, and you're a Yank, which means you do jam and peanut butter. I do with no regrets. I love it. I think it's delicious. But we're talking about jam today because it is a pretty important part of our lives around the world. If you say so. Jam is important in a lot of contexts, and it's been important in scientific discoveries. And that's going to be what matters in this episode. Of Discovery Matters. Brought to you by the Life Sciences team at GE Healthcare. I'm Dodie Axelson. And I'm Connor McKechnie. So, jam. Yeah, jam. Today, we're going to be telling a story about looking for one thing and finding another. And about the importance of keeping an open mind and how it can lead to game-changing consequences. We're going to be talking about a remarkable way to separate proteins and change the way medicines are made. Six decades ago, a product called Cephidex was born, and it changed everything. It's still out there today, stronger than ever, using basically the same recipe since its birth. So where exactly does the story start? From the very beginning, as they say. So to help us tell the story, I sat down with Jan Christer Jonsson, a Swedish guy who was a professor and is now Professor Emeritus at Uppsala University. The Cephadex story starts with two Nobel Prize winners, Tisvedberg got the Nobel Prize in 1926, and Arne Tiselius got the Nobel Prize in 1948. I would say they laid the foundation to the methodological research that was to pursue for decades at Uppsala University. But when it comes to Cephadex, a very important uh, circumstance is the Second World War. During the Second World War, many Swedish companies turned to Swedish uh, universities for help to develop new products. For example, Svedberg was asked to produce synthetic rubber, neoprene. At that time, it was necessary for tires, airplane tires uh, and uh, other tires. Similarly, the Swedish sugar company in Arlöv, in Skåne, they turned to Tiselius and asked if he could help them to find some useful substance in beetroot use, sugar beetroot use. Sockerbolaget, or the Swedish sugar company, had a theory that sugar beets might have pectin in them. Pectin is a polysaccharide that give a gel for jams, etc., so in 1941, Arne Tiselius asked one of his students, called Björn Ingerman, to look into whether beetroots contained pectin. But he couldn't find any pectin of, of any value. But he found another polysaccharide, dextrin. 
Ah, so this is one of those beautiful mistakes that science can serve up, like Alexander Fleming and his discovery of penicillin or the angina drug that uh, became Viagra. Exactly. And when it comes to the story of Cephedex, these beautiful mistakes, as you call them, pop up a lot. Back to dextrin. Dextrin is formed when sugar is attacked by a bacterium called Levconostoc mesenteroides. During the warm summertime, these bacteria, they grow in the beetroot juice. So when they arrived to Uppsala and Ingelmann started to work them, he only found dextrin. He told the sugar company, sorry, I cannot find any pectin, but I have found dextrin. And then they, the engineers at the sugar company said, aha, dextrin. What Ingelmann did was to contact a friend of his, Anders Grönvall. So Ingelmann and Anders Grönvall, they started to, to make dextrin, purify dextrin, and then they injected the dextrin into rabbits. Why? Because in the early 1940s, a professor in Gothenburg called Örjan Ochterlöni had developed immunodiffusion technology. Immunodiffusion means that you can have precipitation lines between antigen and antibody. So Anders Grönvall and um, Björn Ingelmann realized that if we can create antibodies to dextrin, then we can easily, using this immunodiffusion technology, which was new at the time, then we can find out which batch contain dextrin and which does not. So, in order to produce antibodies, they injected dextrin into rabbits. They got no antibodies. But this setback didn't deter Granval and Ingelmann. In fact, this just spurred them on even more. These two people were clever enough to realize, aha, you have a substance that can be injected into an animal without raising antibodies. It must be useful for medical purposes. So they contacted a very small company in Stockholm called Pharmacia. Ah, so now I see where the name Cephedex comes from. Separation, Pharmacia and Dextran. Yep, that's right. And fortunately, the president of Pharmacia was clever enough to realize here we have the possibility to get a modern drug. Oh, this is our opportunity to get into modern medicine. So they signed an agreement with Grönvall and uh, Ingelmann to start to develop Dextrin. And they contacted the sugar company. The sugar company started a daughter company called Sorigona to produce Dextrin on a huge scale. 1946, Pharmacy had a product on the market. Can you imagine? They had a pharmaceutical product on the market only five years later. It's amazing. So in the middle of World War II, back in Sweden, Dextrin has become a plasma substitute in battlefield medicine. Yeah. And the guys who've discovered its use in this way have just kind of stumbled upon it. That's right. But that doesn't bring us to Cephedex yet, though. Not yet. Okay. Right. Because Engelmann was still stuck on the idea of finding pectin somewhere. And this is where jam and bread comes in. 
at the Department of Physical Chemistry, Engelmann kept in his mind the problem of pectin to create a gel for jam, thickener for jams. Swedish people like lingonberry jam, as you know. And this is why pectin is very important for the jam industry. So Engelmann had not forgotten that problem. When huge quantities of dextrin came to his disposal, he tried to make gel of dextrin for making jam. And he made some very nice gels, and he contacted the sugar company and asked, here, I can make a gel with dextrin. What do you say? Are you interested? No, they were not interested. Then, Engelmann was clever enough not to apply a patent, not to publish that he could make a gel from dextrin and epichlorohydrine crosslinker, because he was clever enough to realize this must be a product. Sooner or later, this must have an application medical or whatever. So he kept silent. Fortunately, he kept silent. But Ingenmann became research director and he started to recruit. And he recruited Jerker Porat and Per Flodin. So they spent several years in the early 50s to develop this technique of column sonolecphoresis. And they tried many different packing materials none of which was very good. So Per Flodin joins Pharmacia, and he becomes the head of the Dextran Laboratory. But he was stumped. And then his boss, and our friend Ingelmann, mentioned that he'd actually made cross-linked Dextran years before. So Flodin realized, oh, cross-linked Dextran, totally non-charged, no adsorption effect, Perfect for packing into columns on the electrophoresis column. So Flodin started to make crosslink dextran and grind it into particles and gave to Porat for testing for columns on electrophoresis. And then comes the question was it any electricity or not? Uh, there was a separation occurring where small molecules come out after large molecules. This is what Porat found out in a sonelectrophoresis column packed with, with cross-linked dextran particles. And then Porat said to Flodin that this is exactly the same result as we obtain with the starch gel. Both Flodin and Porat realized that now we have a product. So they pitched their product to Pharmacia, and they were given the green light through a written memo. So that's the story of how Cephedex came to be. It was the first tool of chromatography used to purify protein, and it was the tool that enables scientists to learn more about proteins, what they look like and how they can be used in biopharmaceuticals and for treatments. So that's history. What about the state of Cephedex today? For that, I want you to think about another image, probably your favorite weekend activity. You know how you load up the washing machine? You separate socks and, and, and trousers in one, and then you separate them by color. 
and then maybe you separate them by different fabrics. And so we have all these tools that separate them for you. And then we also have tools called affinity chromatography that would separate your particular favorite blouse with that um, color, with that design, and sort of only that one that will pick it up. I'm Lotta Jungqvist. I'm the CEO of GE in the Nordic region. Cephadex has been part of my life and also a, a, a little bit more modern sibling of, of Cephadex, uh, the protein A-based resins. I did my PhD at the Royal Institute of Technology on using protein A molecules for various affinity chromatography. That's where I started my scientific journey. And Lotta told me that though Cephadex is steeped in history, 60 years worth of it, it's not bound to it. It's not only the ones that started to use this product 60 years ago. People are also using it now for the first time and uh, using it uh, in, in developing new manufacturing processes for new medicines. If you look upon how many drugs that are used today, several hundreds of these that are based on proteins, uh, they still use the same type of toolbox, Cephalex and Cephalex uh, new siblings. Then that's sort of fascinating to see what um, impact that tool has made on, on the global health. So we've seen where Cephadex came from and where it is now, but I can't help wondering if it's got another 60 years in it. What, what about the future? My name is Henrik Gira, and uh, I'm the director of something called Custom Consumables. So we're essentially making customized chromatography resins, pre-packed columns, and uh, I've been here for almost 20 years now. At this point, I was thinking that maybe the future of Cephadex would be one of change like a new cell phone, there's always something new and better on the way. So maybe the future of Cephadex means a new and improved product. New and improved could be very good for new processes. Otherwise, you want things to be like they've always been. Okay, so if not new improved, then what exactly is the future of Cephadex? I think the Cephadexes, especially the Cephadexes that, that, that people use for existing processes, they will be the same. And I think that's exactly what our customers are asking for us. No changes. So what we need to do now, we need to listen. Uh, I think the expression is we need to put our ears to the rails and listen to what our customers are saying to understand what products that we need to develop for the next generation. Listening, for sure, it is important. And as Jan Christer tells us, the story of Cephadex is not at all over. In fact, this idea of finding things where you weren't looking for them has attached itself to the story of Cephadex now and its family of products. I am proud of having followed, you know, <laughs> to follow the development of the company and the products. It's amazing that Cephadex G25 is growing every year. If you have a good product, you can always rely on, if it's well spread over the world, many different brains uh, come in contact with the product. New applications come up all the time. That's the funny thing with the material. And I think Cephadex G25 is a wonderful example of such a product. 
you know, there is a man, uh, he's dead now, Ulf Rutman in Malmö. He happened to drop some Cephadex G25 in a sink and saw that it sucked up the water in the bottom of the sink. And then he realized, oh my God, that G25 could probably be used as a wound healer to suck up all the exudates from a wound. And a product was created called Debrisam, which is Cephadex G25. That's all for this week on Discovery Matters. Next time, how a Chinese hamster changed medicine forever. Thanks for listening and rate us on your podcast app. Bye. Our executive producer is Andrea Killen. Discovery Matters is produced in collaboration with Soundtelling. Production and music by Thomas Henley. 